welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. You may be wondering, uh, where the heck has Troy been? I've been wondering that myself, actually. So, um, give you a quick background and apologize for our schedule being off. Uh, the reason why is due to the COVID-19 pandemic that has caused many of us to have to isolate at home. Uh, I am home here on the farm where our technology opportunities are limited um, to be able to do uh, phone interviews, I normally do those online, or I usually do those on my cell phone uh, with others, and I do not have cell service here at the farm, and when I try to do anything Zoom or Skype or anything like that, the latency is so bad due to our satellite internet that uh, it, it's tough to have a conversation, and the recording sounds like I'm paging somebody from the Death Star, so really breaks up quite a bit, has uh, some real tinny sound to it, so not a big fan of it. I'd rather have uh, something that we could produce that's quality versus something that we throw out there in an attempt to just try to keep a schedule going. So uh, until this clears up, until I can get um, some time to schedule and be back in our, our office or back somewhere where we have cell service, then uh, we may be a little sporadic. But what I want to do today is spend some time um, obviously talking about uh, you know, kind of what's going on current affairs type of thing as it pertains to pastured pork. Obviously, I'm not going to get into all the COVID discussions generally simply because um, that's been done ad nauseum. I think you know, after five weeks of this, we're probably all sick to, sick to death of, of hearing it anyway. But let's, um, let's, we'll just focus today on talking about pork production and what we see coming down the road. I'm going to reference some uh, national articles, talk about how that's affecting uh, large pork production and how that could possibly affect uh, trickle down to uh, we uh, pastured pork producers. So um, first, I'll just give an update of what's been going on here on the farm. Uh, as the uh, many of you know that have been listening to the podcast, we have a uh, uh, we've had new genetics that we brought into our farm this year from uh, David Crafton's Six Oaks Farms in South Carolina, and I've got 15 hogs from him, and they're growing quite well. Uh, we've just moved them to new pasture. In fact, I'm I have the benefit of sitting here at my window looking at them across the valley. They just came tearing off the hill for some reason, so it's raining like crazy, so they're making mud as pigs do. So um, they're doing well. They're they're growing. We have, um, uh, we just opened a new, uh, it's about two to three acres of of pasture, woodlot pasture that they're exploring and, and having a blast going through. There's still a ton of mass on the ground from this fall. We just had a, a bumper crop of acorns and beech nuts. In fact, I was working on the working on the fence section where I was putting uh, putting new fence posts in corner posts and kneeling down on the ground to um, uh, to attach the wire and and I was like, man, what is so sharp all over the ground? And looked and it was all these beech nuts uh, still in their halls, just laying laying there, almost like carpet. So you know they're little spiky things, and it just amazed me the amount of uh, of mass still on the ground this late in the season. Usually the squirrel and deer would have all that vacuumed by now. We also, uh, in, in those 15, we had planned on getting a boar, 
And I don't know that I've mentioned that on the podcast, but on our YouTube channel, we talk about uh, the details of that. We wanted one boar, and um, David sent us two. And then we discovered uh, just a couple weeks ago, one of our, our smaller ones, uh, there was a, there's about three or four that were from a much um, newer litter. So they're about four weeks younger. And we noticed that uh, this one uh, this one little guy that was running around that, that I thought was a barrow, he's... Um, He's carrying a wallet. <laughs> so, like, wait a minute, that's not uh, that's not a barrow. So we have three boars. So we're um, still discussing what we're going to do with uh, three of those. We may have to to call the number of boars that we have. Maybe have a beauty contest to see who can uh, who can hang uh, who can hold out the longest there. But um, a- another thing that we're working on the farm is uh, is opening our, our boar pasture. We're, we're building an area on the north side of our property, what I call our north ridge, where we want to have the boars in a small rotational area. And that'll keep them about um, 100, 200 yards away from uh, the gilts. And we're hoping that that will help. That and strong fence, we're hoping will help keep them separate, that we can uh, let them get together whenever they need to. You know, there's there's an interesting thing with uh, with what we've got going on here at the farm. Our attempt to expand pig pasture. We have a hundred acres that is is all one valley. It's one watershed. It's it's Appalachian hardwood forest, and it's um, it's funny. I, I call it hilly, but when you talk to people in the south, they say well, those aren't hills. Those are mountains. And then when you talk to somebody that's you know in the mountains, they're like, well, those aren't mountains. Those are hills. So. I can't win no matter what I describe them as, but we have about a 400 foot elevation relief um, throughout the property. So in this situation, trying to make more uh, woodlot pasture, silva pasture area, we're not clear cutting uh, by any means. Uh, We want to still keep all of that great mass producing trees uh, in smaller numbers, but allow the canopy to expand of individual trees. Um, so they can produce more mass, but also allow more sunlight in as we thin out these trees so we can get some pasture grass production. So that's the plan. And the pigs, of course, are the forefront of that. We we feel if we can do a good job with pigs, uh, get them moving up the valley, then we can, of course, bring in uh, beef cattle. We'd like to expand to that point uh, when we're ready with enough pasture land. So uh, the issue has always been taking the time to clear land. There seems like there's always something more important to do, more pressing to do. So areas where I thought, hey, I can have this this silva pasture area, this two acre section here, I can have it ready to be fenced off and you have the proper trees thinned out and let the pigs in there. I should be able to do that in a couple of weeks or, or maybe a month of, of working on it. But then I find that I keep bumping that type of stuff back because of, again, more pressing issues. Uh, pasture has to be built. I have to uh, get feed. I have to accommodate this. I have to do this. So there's always something that relegates that to a, a second level or even third level of importance. Well, what I've done in this time away, time home, is I've tried to make it a point to say I'm going to cut down at least six trees once a day. And I know somewhere some tree hugger just fell out of his chair. Um, but uh, you know, so there's d- disturbance in the tree force for somebody. But it doesn't sound nearly as nefarious as um, the, as as it does sound. It, it isn't as nefarious as it sounds, I should say. Uh, what I do is is I go through a section and I've identified the trees that I want to keep, and I've identified the trees that I want to remove. And by a tree, I'm I'm talking about everything from a one inch diameter sapling, you know, all the way up to a 24 inch diameter large tree. 
so within that that parameter of coming through and cutting down six then you know, I can come through and zip down um, just have the chainsaw on the back of the side by side and when I'm feeding the pigs and you know, move on down the line it's like oh, I'm gonna jump out there's six uh, small saplings I want to thin out bang 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 you know, cut those so trying to be diligent in that and it's it's allowed me to to really move the 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 ball forward when it comes to clearing out these pastures there's an area what I call our winter pasture for the pigs that's right behind our barn it's on a hillside and that hillside it is north facing it's a very steep slope it always stays muddy and it's covered in um, in forest growth it's it's got a lot of it's got some pine it's got some beech it's got some maple uh, it's got a lot of little scrub tree a little bit of autumn olive even growing on it so I just spent some time each time I'd come back from feeding the pigs because they're on a pasture that's further up the mountain there each time I'd come back from feeding the pigs I'd stop jump out zip a couple things down and uh, get on down the road and then here lately even taking down some bigger trees you know took down a pretty decent sized beech because it was just uh, fighting too much canopy with a red oak that I wanted beech produces great nuts but I prefer a red oak if if I had two standing beside each other which is what I did then the red oak is what I want to keep so taking time to cut that up now that one tree took um, took a lot longer since it was a much larger tree but it's really helped me see the vision uh, move forward as far as clearing some of this land out and getting this uh, in a better situation so it's something I've challenged myself to do on a day like today where it's raining like crazy all day then obviously I'm not cutting anything but maybe I'll do 12 tomorrow if I get a chance to get out there so um, I wanted to talk briefly about well not briefly I guess I wanted to kind of hang out primarily with this discussion about talking about how corona is affecting uh, pork production nationally and uh, what I'm going to do is reference a couple articles and I'm not going to read them verbatim obviously but I'm going to reference some key points in some of these articles that are um, that have you know just current you know today is is uh, what is today my goodness I've lost all track of time today is Thursday April the 23rd when I'm recording this and uh, so pulling these articles here looking at uh, the New York Post it was a headline here when I just searched the wire, it says uh, pork producers could euthanize hogs to offset financial losses from coronavirus. And as we know, there's been uh, you know some processing plants that have closed, and uh, that's that's obviously having an effect across production lines, uh, especially these you know these large CAFO style pork producers. Uh, you know they're running into a, uh, you know, some serious situations here with these closures. So looking at that article, it, it talks about how the largest consumers of pork nationally are restaurants and schools. So granted, when you shut down almost every restaurant, uh, you know, some are still doing their, their carry out and take out services. Uh, but even those have seen dramatic decreases in, uh, in, in clientele and customer transaction on a daily basis. Then that affects greatly. Obviously, all the schools are closed, too. So there's not a lot of consumption. There's no need for uh, uh cooks to be cooking school lunches at that point so when you take that huge amount of consumers out of a production line then of course there becomes a log jam there's a lot of pork that uh, that needs to be needs to be moved and uh, so they're looking at the situation like okay this is this is so dire so quickly that the, the logical step could be to euthanize your entire inventory or a majority of your inventory and as uh, most of the, the people that listen to this podcast obviously produce pork, they, they know what the situation is. You can have, you can keep pork on pasture for a while and it'll just get bigger. And our feeding processes, our, our um, 
care processes. Yeah, they can get bigger. They're going to put, put on more fat. But it's not going to be as dramatic as a CAFO operation, an inside pork operation, where you know, they're dumping the feed to them. They're, they're doing their practices where that's going to turn into fat. That's going to turn into some health issues. There's all kinds of things that are going to come out of that. And, of course, that makes production at a grand scale even tougher because you know, those those huge uh, industrialized processing plants expect the pigs to come in pretty much all the same size. So if you start bringing in, you know, 400 pound, 500 pound pigs when they're expecting the, uh, you know, the typical market weight pig coming in, then that's going to be a big issue. And that's what's addressed in this article that um, that the euthanization is going to most likely be the, the logical step here simply because they can't put these pigs on hold. They can't make them, they can't pause them. They still eat, of course. They still drink. They still need their medications um, and these operations. They still need to be cared for. And, of course, they're going to grow and put on weight and put on more fat. So looking here, the National Pork Producers Council uh, that's mentioned in this article estimate that pork, pork farmers will lose roughly $37 for every market-ready hog that they have to euthanize, which that that statement is is pretty telling as well so yes it's it's a huge loss they say this equates to about five billion in revenue by the end of the year due to these disruptions so that's a huge swing for pork producers to put up with I mean, five billion dollars is a lot of money but when you look at this this is where economy of scale and just the size of these operations really shows itself so they they're basically saying that they've got 37 dollars tied in every hog and you know, my goodness when i look at my cost analysis on my farm to raise pigs you know $37 is nowhere near what I have in in each each one of my pigs by the time I'm ready to take them to market so uh, yeah that's a pretty telling number number there as well really jumps out uh, one other interesting stat that this quotes is um, uh, with restaurants being shut down they these uh, pork producers have a lot less business and the stat they give here according to this new york post article is about 70 percent of bacon is consumed in restaurants and food service which is an interesting stat so you think 70 percent of all the bacon produced in the united states is consumed by the restaurant slash food service and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they're saying food service or like u.s foods uh those type of places that pro that uh, provide uh food for smaller restaurants those type of things schools and and so forth so you think, wow, seventy percent of bacon. I guess when you think of when you think of the major food chains, you know, the Burger Kings, the Wendy's of the world that are making bacon cheeseburgers, then that does kind of make sense that you know, there's a lot of lot of bacon being slung around there. So when Wendy's and when Burger King and those have seen a dramatic decrease in transactional daily transactional data, then uh, yeah, that's that's causing an issue as well. So that's that's a definite backlog. You can't have. 70% of your consumption just you know, dramatically decrease and that will not affect you negatively. <clears throat> so you, as I'm sure many of you have heard in the news, this uh, the Smithfield plant in South Dakota shuts down uh, after more than 600 confirmed cases of, of COVID tied to the plant. So that's, you know, that's a big issue. That's a big outbreak in one, one facility. So that's um, you know, forced them to shut that down. Well, now we're seeing... It's kind of like a domino effect. We're seeing these other production facilities um, drop, and I'm going to reference here in another another article here in a second uh, pertaining to that particularly. But it's it's really kind of caused this domino effect as as it's a kind of a double whammy. You've got the decrease in demand, so of course supply is backlogging, 
so the demand goes down, so uh, uh, production plants don't need to produce as much. But then you also have outbreak of coronavirus in these production facilities. So social distancing, some of these things uh, put in place, these protocols put in place to keep the pandemic from spreading, obviously push against production as well. So um, Smithfield says, okay, let's just shut the whole thing down. We've got 600 confirmed cases in this plant. We need to just just stop doing. So you can imagine just how much that disrupts an operation. When you slam on the brakes and say, okay, we, we, are, we are receiving this many pigs a day and processing this many pigs. Now we're going to stop altogether. And, man, my heart goes out to these farmers that uh, you know, their livelihood um, exists on them taking these pigs. Um, I think this, um, this other article, the um, MSNBC article, that our, uh, CNBC, bite your tongue, Troy. CNBC article that I'm referencing here talks about uh, that um, – this yeah, this facility that this one facility that just shut down in Waterloo, Iowa, which was a uh, Tyson Foods facility, uh, slaughters nineteen thousand five hundred hogs a day, or a total of five percent of the U.S. pork uh, production, in just in one plant. Twenty two hundred workers, um, it looks like, um, are going to be tested for COVID nineteen. So you look at how that goes through through these farmers um, that references one Iowa farmer, Randy Francis delivers 300 pigs to 500 pigs a week to this Waterloo plant. So my goodness, where you, um, if you're that farmer and you're, you've got 300 to 500 head that are scheduled to go to a plant and you get that call and say, okay, we're not going to need your, your pigs um, for the indefinite future. Uh, Wow. Uh, I I couldn't imagine having that phone call. That would be a tough one to, to, to handle. And it uh, makes you scramble to figure out, what am I going to do with this pork? And you know, do you keep feeding it in hopes that somebody in the next couple of weeks is going to say, yeah, we'll take that. We can take some of that stuff. Um, we take some of your product. So maybe you can break even because, you know, anytime this happens, it's going to be at a reduced price. Very rarely are you going to find somebody to step in and take your product and maybe take it for the price that you've you've contractually obligated to. Uh, so you're probably going to take a, a, a reduction of income there. And then if you don't move it and you, you actually resort to euthanizing, just think of how much money just went down the tubes there. But it really becomes this this proverbial fork in the road. Do I try to keep these pigs alive and fed in hope that somebody will buy them and I can get some of my money back? Or do I literally go out and I, I euthanize every single one of them and just lose every bit of that money to keep from putting more money into it. So it's, it's a real hard time uh, for pork farmers right now. And man, I, yeah, like I said, my heart goes out for them that, that they're having to make these really tough decisions. Um, it's really a testament to the fragility of our food process, uh, entire food stream in the, in the country right now. Um, there is some discussion. If I reference back to the New York post article, there is some discussion about the USDA is um, is looking at a COVID-19 relief package that will include $3 billion in planned agricultural product purchases and $1.6 billion in direct payments to hog farmers. So this would be a, a farming bailout, much like um, uh, individual people have experienced already through the government. Um, again, yeah, the, I don't want to get political here. There's, there's obviously pros and cons to these type of bailouts. Again, these farmers that... Everything is riding on their um, their production. Uh, it, it, yeah, I'd love to see these guys be able to to be supported and be able to get through this with hopefully um, a learning experience for all of us. I mean, I, 
I don't think any of us have gone unscathed from this situation. Um, those of you that know, you know my my business is a marketing company. You know, it's pretty much dead in the water right now. There's there's not a lot of work, and not a lot of people are marketing their businesses because of all this. So for the past five weeks, um, my my company has been idled. So the farm activity is really the only thing I have going on, and the only thing that's producing income for me. So um, I've learned something from this. I've learned I've got to make adjustments. I have to do things differently going forward. Uh, just because times have changed. So if these bailouts happen, um, I hope that when they come, if if and when the money actually goes to the hands of the people that truly need it, I hope that there's a learning experience from these, that these uh, these large production facilities look and say, oh, we got to diversify or we got to downscale or we got to do something that allows us to be a little more agile when something like this happens. But unfortunately, we uh, we seem to be doomed to repeat our, ourselves in uh, in history when it comes to these type of situations. Hopefully not. I don't want to be pessimistic. I, I think there's uh, some good that can come out of all this if we just uh, stop and assess what's happened and, and learn from it. So, you know, the, the kind of the takeaway question to all of this uh, from a pastured pork producer is you know, how do we protect ourselves as a smaller pasture operation. Again, I, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast, the few that there are, are major pork producers. I mean, we know we have some guys out here uh, that, that are producing um, you know, multiple hundred head. Uh, they do have a pretty good operation going. Uh, if you follow some of the, uh, some of the pasture pig groups on Facebook, uh, you see a lot of commentary in there. There's some that, um, that produce pasture-raised pork and a, and a large percentage of the pork that they produce is for the restaurant industry and they've had to adapt quickly uh, because you know those orders have just slammed on the brakes as well so it, you know it's not fair to say or it would be incorrect to say that the pastured pig uh, group the pastured pig industry if that is such a proper term has gone unscathed in this au contrary you know they're we haven't gone unscathed. We've seen on these groups, and you guys can see them as well, the people sharing that, no, they have been affected negatively from this and uh, are, are reeling and, and having to scramble to figure out how do I do this without you know, totally you know, breaking a bank or going into massive debt or you know, just having to shut everything down. So I would say we've all been affected, uh, but how do we protect ourselves? So what's our takeaway? What can we learn from this going forward? And... Um, just jotting down some notes that stick in my mind again from from a small pork producer you know again we are very small even on the pasture pork production scale um, but looking at that and seeing how do I protect myself from this wave uh, that's going to happen so I guess you know maybe the first thing to do is identify um, we need to not only look at what we're going to do to adjust our agility, to adjust our mechanism to make sure it's more insulated from these type of issues. But we also have to look and see how these third-party elements, these these large CAFOs, these large producers, how what they're going to do here in the next three, four months is going to affect us. Does it spill over into our genre of pork production? So I think it's best to look at all of that. So you know, the, the first thing that I would recommend in this situation is Hopefully your production is agile. It has some agility because it's small. It, it didn't require huge investments of these, these huge buildings, you know, tons of concrete, tons of computer systems, all that type of stuff. Hopefully you don't have that huge investment that has a mortgage or a, uh, you know, a debt associated with it. 
so not having debt accrued with your uh, farm can allow you to be agile. Now, you, you may have a mortgage. I have a mortgage on my property, just like most people do. Uh, but I don't have a lot of debt for, uh, I don't have any debt for the actual production of pork or any other farm products here uh, at, at Red Tool House. So I have the agility to say, well, I don't have to make, make a monthly payment. Granted, it would be nice since my day job has slowed down dramatically. It would be nice to, to get some income that, uh, that I can handle. But you know, if, if it was a situation where I, I needed to... Uh, uh, where income dropped dramatically because of uh, selling to a, a restaurant or selling at farmers markets or doing stuff that that is now no longer a, a, an option that I'm not upside down super quick because I have a mortgage payment that has to be met each month. So it's one of those things where right now in pork production and again I know people move in different cycles but you know in early spring you've probably already made some of your investments for this year um yeah, that uh, that may be like, wow, I wish I, if I'd have known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have spent this money on this. I would have kept that in the nest egg. Or maybe you were just real close to making that investment because the season was just getting started for you. So hopefully um, you know, that's an opportunity for you to kind of pull back and say, ooh, is this really the, the best purchase right now? Do I need to have that tractor? Do I need to have this uh, huge buy of whatever it may be? Do I need to expand our operation? I was planning on growing by 20% this year. Maybe we're not going to do that. We're not going to add 20% to our herd. We're going to actually back down a little bit. <clears throat> so you know, those are the type of assessments you can look at and say, um, you know, let's, not, let's not try to expand. Let's not try to grow right now. Let's not try to spend more capital at this point. Maybe we'd be um, ultra conservative in this situation and go with what we've got. And, of course, not accrue any debt in this situation. Well, I think something we also have to look for is prepare for a flood of low-grade pork competition. Um, as we see with these articles that uh, these producers could possibly euthanize their, their pigs, for every, every farmer that's going to consider euthanizing, you know, that's, that's their last resort. There's going to be all kinds of things they're going to look at prior to that. And a lot of it's going to be, can I find a secondary market to push this on? And I've already seen this pop up on Facebook. My goodness, uh, if you follow the, um, I get my groups mixed up, but I saw just a post this morning on um, pastured pigs for um, health and happiness, I believe, is uh, somebody in the uh, central part of the country that had, it showed a picture of what I would consider a, you know, an, an, an inside pig operation, a CAFO operation, um, you know, concrete slats, all those type of things. And the guy was selling these hogs that were real close to market weight. He was selling them for $65 a piece. And man, it was a blue light special. If, uh, you know, if, if you use a Kmart analogy there, where he was unloading all these pigs and had you know, several hundred and uh, for $65 a pop, come and get them. And uh, he's think, wow, my goodness. So how does that influence? Now, again, um, you look at that and say, does that really affect our, our genre? Are we insulated from that? And I would say, no, no, we're not 100% insulated from that because uh, you can see those pigs show up in, in additional pasture operations. You can see people that are considering getting into pastured pigs is, okay, that's where I'm going to start. Um, you can see production facilities, um, smaller, small-time, uh, you know, mom and pop owned production facilities. Say, hey, that's a great deal. I'm going to buy a lot of that pork, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to sell it regionally here uh, after it's been processed. So I think we have to prepare for that. We have to expect a lot of what I consider low-grade pork coming online, 
and being competition for us. So I think what we have to do is to be be ready you know, when we see that happening in our area, be ready to defend your prices and be ready to defend your processes. So if somebody says, hey, man, I can, uh, you know, JQ Farmer down the road here decided he's getting into pigs and he just bought, um, you know, 50 head of pigs that are already market weight and he's selling them, he's selling them for $150, including processing fee or whatever. And you say, well, you know, there's no way in the world. I, I can't even begin to compete with that. Be, be prepared. Instead of just throwing up your hands and saying, well, man, I'm going to lose it and, and just you know, writing that customer off. Make sure that customer is educated and understands. Okay, ask JQ Farmer, how long has he had those pigs? Does he know where they came from? Does he know what they were fed? Does he know how they were treated? Does he know, you know what medications have they been given, if any? Uh, you know, what's the life cycle of that pig? What has it gone through? And do you, are you comfortable with, with that type of production? If they answer, oh, yeah, I know this, 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 and this, and I'm okay with all it, well, okay, that's one of those marginalized customers that maybe didn't fully appreciate what you were doing anyway with your pastured pork operation. Uh, they don't appreciate the finer nuances of what we do. But be prepared to defend that, and also be prepared to defend your price. Um, I, you know, as, a, as a business consultant, I, I say you know, reducing your price is, is an option that you can always fall back on, but that shouldn't be your first option. You should explore all kinds of things. You know, if you look at the uh, the real estate market, is probably the best example to show is um, it, most um, property developers that sell houses, that build and sell houses, or, or do subdevelopments, they do not want to reduce the price of a house that they built, uh, a spec home that they've built, and they want to sell because they want to keep all of those appraisals in that neighborhood high. So even if they put a house on the market for $400,000 and think there's no way I'm going to get that, uh, they're going to try to incentivize all day long other things. Hey, if you buy this house for $400,000, I'll upgrade the kitchen, or I'll do this, or I'll put in $30,000 worth of landscaping, or I'll, you know, whatever the case may be. I'll give you, I've seen one, so I'll, I'll put a $10,000 home entertainment system in there for you. Because instead of taking a hit, on the cost of the house that affects appraisals all the way around the, the neighborhood, they'd rather you know take that hit uh, straight out of their pocket and say, let's keep the appraisals up, let's keep the values up, um, even though it's still going to cost them the same amount or maybe even more in the long run. So when you look at that, what does that have to do with pastured pork? Well, it's a similar situation if you get to where uh, you say, well, I'm normally $8 a pound for bacon or I'm you know $6 a pound for pork chops, whatever you are. And you have a blue light special, and you say, "Well, I'm, I'm moving everything this year for three dollars a pound because I got to get rid of it." Well, when you come around next year, those repeat customers will be like, "Hey, I really liked. Yeah, I got, I got a good feeling when you were doing three dollars a pound. I, I'd like to see that again." And you're going to have it's tough to go back up with that pricing. So uh, you try to defend your pricing, try to defend your processes, use uh, price discounts um, at the at the least last possible op. op opportunity here. And I want to get into that a little bit more on down in, the, in, in another bullet point as we as we talk about what we can do. I think uh, you know, one thing we can look at is, is um, that we also need to prepare for a lot more competition when it comes to pastured pig operation. Now, granted, there's going to be a lot of, of people that are new to, to pig raising, to, uh, to small farming that decided, hey, because of this scare, I want to get into this. And, and I actually applaud that. I, the more people take personal responsibility for raising their own food, 
the better I think the country can be as a whole. So I'm not going to begrudge anyone that says, I'm going to get a couple pigs, we're going to raise them for ourselves, we're going to process them, and we're going to put them in our own freezer and we're going to eat them. You know, that's, that's a food source for us. And that may be one, even one of my own customers. You know, I'm going to, it's going to be sad that I've lost that customer, but you know, I should actually uh, be happy to see them trying to be more self-reliant on that even though that could take money out of my own pocket. What we're also going to see, I believe, are those people that say, hey, I'm not only going to do this for food, but I know Troy or I know so-and-so does this and actually makes money off of it, so I'm going to try to do what they do. So instead of getting two pigs to raise for the family, I'm going to get 10 or 20 or whatever the case may be, and I'm going to stick my toe in the water. Well, instead of sticking my toe in the water, I'm going to jump in head first. I'm going to do a cannonball into pastured pig operation. And I'm going to try to raise pigs and, and become a pig farmer overnight. And unfortunately, I think we're going to see a lot of that happen this year. 2020 is going to be the year of the of the virgin pig farmer. <laughs> Not that the pigs are virgin, that they're virgin being a farmer. Um, so, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people that dive in head first with this. And, you know, some are going to come out okay. Um, some are not. And I think the ones that are not are going to be in a situation where, you know, they could do... Um, they could do things that could affect uh, your market simply because, hey, I've got pastured pigs. I'm losing my butt on because I had no idea how much feed I was going to put into them. Or, wow, I didn't have enough ground that I thought I had. Or, or wow, I didn't even know how much time this was going to take. i got to get rid of these guys, so I'm just going to liquidate. Hey, I'll take a market weight or a sub-market weight uh, hog. I'll sell it to you for for X. And, it could again, it could undercut you. And at that point, somebody's going to argue, well, it's a pasture-raised hog. It's this, it's that. It's it's good quality pork. I'm just, I just need to get out of it. So yeah, again, be prepared for that. Be prepared for a, a possible, you know, small, hopefully a small percentage of, of customers that maybe get lured away because somebody in your area has decided to get into the pig business. What I'm hoping, um, and, and this is kind of where I am in my situation, what I'm hoping is that because I'm so far along in, uh, in our cycle, uh, we're going to be processing in July. So uh, unless people are buying, um, you know, almost fully grown pigs, um, they're really not going to be much competition for me. Uh, what I'm seeing in my area are people trying to find feeders right now. So if they're getting feeders and they're going to be you know, p- pigs that have just been weaned and they're going to be ready to process late summer, uh, mid-fall, then you know, hopefully my, my production has, has been processed, been sold, all that's taken care of before that, uh, that wave, that increased wave of, of pork in my area shows up. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. But be prepared for that. And again, be ready to discuss if that means, hey, maybe I need to look at producing a week or two early. Now, I know, my goodness, when you talk about processing facilities and their schedules right now, that's you probably laugh when you say, hey, we're going to try to move our processing date. It may not be an option because uh, I know a lot of those are, are completely covered up right now. Well, one other thing we could do is is look at trying to secure our customers sooner rather than later. If you're a procrastinator like I am, where you're like, okay, I'm taking deposits all the way up until you know three or four weeks from when I'm taking the, the hogs in, uh, because if I don't sell them as wholes or halves, I can, I'll process them for individual cuts and I always do good selling those. And, and that's kind of been my attitude. I've been a little flippant about it in the last several years. But uh, this year I'll be more diligent about uh, you know, getting my deposits, getting my uh, commitments on what I really want to sell as wholes and halves. If I've got a target to say, here's how many wholes and halves I want to sell this year, then really want to push that sooner rather than later. And it's one of those things you can eat. Um, I'm looking at even offering additional incentives. So um, you know, one thing I introduced this year with my customers is, is a payment plan. 
Some people aren't ready to, um, you know, and I sell my pork at $3.50 a pound for whole and $4.50 a pound for half. So uh, when somebody says, wow, okay, I'm not ready to throw out 700 to $900 all at once, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a barrier for me. Uh, we're offering a payment plan. Hey, you can start right now and you can start making monthly payments or you know, however often you want and start breaking that up into payments that are easier to, to make instead of uh, addressing that cost all at once. So look at different ways to uh, to offer those type of things to your customers. Try to get those deposits up front, get those commitments, and that way you can get them locked down. Uh, chances are, if you've got a deposit that's uh, worth somebody's money, a non-refundable deposit, and they call you and say, hey, so-and-so down the road is going to offer pigs for 20% less than what you're offering. Can I get my deposit back? Well, again, that's the relationship you have with your customer. You're going to have to navigate that uh, however you see fit. But hopefully those deposits will get your customers locked in. And again, hopefully they appreciate uh, the work that you do and and the value that you have in your product. Well, one last point I want to make about this and, and how we protect ourselves uh, as small pastured uh, pork operators is look at value adding versus discounting. And I talked about this a little bit before. The, the, the reason why you don't want to go straight to your discount is... Um, is simply because it can affect future production when hopefully if some things get somewhat back to normal, or at least pricing gets back to normal, uh, you don't have this huge mountain, this huge hole to climb out of to get your pricing back where uh, it was your sweet spot. You know, you've set your pricing where it is because that's where you need to be to make this worth your while. If you've got to take a 20, 30, 40% hit on that, you're not gonna to wanna to do that very long uh, and, and be able to, to stay in the business. So look at value add. And so by value add, I mean, um, look at additional products. So, um, you know, you think of the, the ever so popular buy one, get one type of situation. So, yeah, if you're selling a lot of cuts, say, hey, we're going to offer uh, everything at regular price. But if you buy, um, you know, what we did is we called it the Internet special. If you buy five pounds of ground pork or ground sausage, we're going to give you an extra pound for free. And you may argue, well, you're actually discounting. Well, and if you look at it from a pure accounting standpoint, yeah, it did discount it, but people still paid that full price, $5 a pound for ground pork, five fifty for ground sausage. So they were still paying out that full price. They just got an extra product. And, and we had a, you know, we've got a glut of ground pork and ground sausage right now. So it was one of those things where it, it doesn't hurt me production-wise, it doesn't hurt me financially to throw in that extra pound. Uh, so do that way before you'd say, hey, we'll knock uh, 20% off the price. Because yeah, that really, in, in, in a sense, that's kind of how that math shakes out. Instead of knocking 20% off the price and me still giving you only five pounds, I'm going to give you six pounds, but I'm going to keep the price where it is. So look at doing those type of value adds. Look at, uh, look at gifts. Uh, again, I don't, I don't know what that could be, but yeah, maybe if, uh, if you've already got some nice farm swag where you've got some T-shirts or hats or whatever and say, hey, everybody that buys a pig from me, I'm going to give you a T-shirt and a hat. Maybe that moves the needle. Maybe it doesn't. Is that going to make somebody definitely buy? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, but it's some of those things that you could explore, um, especially if, you know, when you're buying, if you've bought um, T-shirts or hats in bulk. And again, in my business experience where we do a lot of purchasing like that, you know, when you do a large production run of something, you may have $4 in a T-shirt. And you say, well, I normally sell that shirt for $20. So you give away, you know, five T-shirts, you've given away $20 uh, of cost. And maybe that goes a long way um, than instead of discounting your product. 
you know, and, and one other thing, there's a lot of, um, a lot of the people that we've interviewed on this podcast are not solely pork producers. So look at value adding with bundles, uh, putting products together. Um, you know, sometimes, well, a lot of times people aren't just specifically looking for pork. I just want pork. Uh, some people are saying, well, if I'm going to buy ground pork or I'm going to buy pork chops or sausage and bacon, I'd love to have hamburger. I'd love to have some steaks. I'd love to have some beef ribs. I'd love to have some eggs. I'd love to have some chicken, boneless chicken or uh, you know, whole chicken, whatever the case may be. So for a lot of us that are polyculture, we've got multiple protein sources or, or other uh, farm products there. Look at bundling those to say, okay, this year instead of discounting holes and halves, anybody that buys a whole hog gets a free whole chicken. Or maybe you give them so many dozen eggs, whatever the case may be. So look at putting those packets together before uh, discounting your product. And one other point with that is you think about um, there's cottage laws that have changed um, in the country. Some cottage laws have been in place for a long time. In our state, West Virginia, they just went back to a more lax cottage law, which allows allows you to produce baked goods uh, without having to have a commercial kitchen. And then there are some restrictions and stipulations. So before you jump right into this, be sure to check where you are. Uh, the laws for cottage, um, you know, the cottage laws when it comes to in in home uh, production, in home baking. But um, we d- we've done this before. In fact, this is, I probably shouldn't go on record saying this. We've kind of done this when the when the cottage law wasn't really that we kept it among friends and family. But we do a breakfast sample. Kelly really does a great job of. You know, she's an incredible cook and a wonderful baker. So she would make this English muffin bread that you know, that I would. I'd almost stab somebody over if I was hungry enough because it is just incredibly good small loaf of bread that looks like, you know, it looks and tastes like English muffins. Uh, Just an incredible, incredible product she makes. So we were going through this um, testing phase with our pork product when we were first getting into this. And we said, hey, you know, we're going to offer a breakfast package. We're going to sell two pounds of sausage, I think a dozen eggs, and then a loaf of freshly baked English muffin bread. And we, we had that packaged together really nicely. And, uh, man, that was huge. I mean, it got to the point where you know, Kelly was, was producing English muffin bread like crazy. And then, of course, we had to back it down when we realized that, hey, this really isn't compliant with the cottage laws. But now the laws in West Virginia have changed. We could actually start that up again if we wanted to. So look at that. Maybe if you've got a hand... Uh, in something and, and maybe a partnership with maybe another farm or somebody else. Again, check your laws on this. I don't want to be uh, the, the reason why you get in trouble with uh, the department of making you sad. So um, be sure to check those out. But that's something else you could do. You additional value add that when you think about it, it's the labor that you have. That, that's really the biggest tie up in those baked goods because you know, the, um, the components to make those items are, are fairly inexpensive. So maybe that's a way to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to take this pork, and, and since I'm having a hard time selling all my individual cuts, let's start doing these bundles with these additional value-added products, including baked goods. So I think those are things we need to, to look at and, and just consider about our operation as we look forward to say, hey, if we're going to process at this date, uh, just plan on um, there being some additional competition, plan on there being a glut of low-quality pork coming into the area, and to combat that, to keep from having to drop your prices or to keep from losing your customers, look at value adding with different options. And again, be, be, be prepared to defend your services and be prepared to defend your pricing. There's a reason why people came to you in the first place. So just make sure they understand that. 
Well, this is, uh, I hope this, there was some uh, value in this. Uh, it seems kind of weird. I'm sitting here with a microphone, looking out the window, talking to myself. Um, so I hope this is, uh, this has some uh, um, value to you all. If you would like to uh, to send some comments, of course, you can comment uh, directly at my email, Troy, at redtoolhouse.com. You can obviously go to the website, redtoolhouse.com, uh, forward slash Pastured Pig Podcast, and comment through that form. Um, those of you that have reached out to me to be interviewed, I have not lost your information. I have it on a list. I apologize that we don't have anything scheduled yet simply because of my technological issues. But please note, I will, um, I will contact you once we get uh, this figured out and, and just see what makes the most sense. I mean, in the past, I've gone up to our local post office and sat in the parking lot in my truck and recorded, which looks kind of weird. People give me the, the crazy look, so we may have to resort to that if need be. And we may, uh, we may do uh, individual um, kind of off and on discussions. I even thought about, hey, is there even a pre-recorded option? Sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of times the questions I ask, if you listen to these podcasts, I kind of ask a 10-word uh, ten, ten question and let the, uh, let the guest talk for 20 minutes. So I've even thought about, do I ask somebody to pre-record and then send me audio files? So I'm trying to just explore all these options. Uh, if you have any comments or suggestions, by all means, uh, throw them my way. Or if you'd like to, to have me talk about specific topics, um, you know, as today, you know, pull the news articles talking about that. There may be things um, that could be solo discussions as we get into it. I know there's been a lot of, um, uh, as I look through the, the Facebook groups associated with pigs, um, I could obviously start pulling out questions there and, and, and sharing that information and using that as, as topics going forward. So uh, love feedback. I know podcasts uh, are definitely a one-way conversation, but love feedback and just let me know what you all think. Well, I pray everyone has a good week out in the pasture. I, I pray that if there's a silver lining to this big rain cloud, that it's allowed you to spend more time in the pasture. Uh, but also pray that you uh, not stress out, stay calm, and we'll get through this. You know, we're a resilient group. And just um, just be prepared and, and, and don't uh, don't freak out. All right. Take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 